Matthew chapter 28. Last week we started what is uh, a very brief two-week study on gospel-centered parenting. And we talked about what parenting looks like from a gospel-centered vision, from a gospel world view. And so today I want to finish that, talk about that, and I want to talk in a specific section of that. And just to let you know, today we're going to talk about some very practical applications of gospel-centered parenting, all right? And so I want to start with the verse we started with last week. And so last week we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this was the high point. Moses is getting ready to uh, commission them to enter into the Holy Land. He is not going with them, and so this is an emotional moment for him. He is giving them everything that he can, giving them everything that he knows about the law of God, about the ways to keep their ways pure, about the opportunities they have to seize the land, about how God will bless them if they will follow him. And he's pouring out his heart to these people in his final, his last lecture, his final sermon, his final message to them. And he says, this is the command, the statutes and the ordinance, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. So that you may follow them in the land you're about to enter possess. He says, so these are the things. I'm about to give you everything. I'm about to get everything to you that God wants me to give you. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands. I am giving you your son and your grandson and so that you may have a long life. And so he says, remember last week we talked about the two purposes, the two attitudes we want to build in our children is a love of God and a fear of God. He's going to say, listen, Israel, be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, this is the verse that he quoted. These words that I'm giving you today are in your heart. They're to be a part of you. They're to be the very essence of who you are. So repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. What Moses is saying here to this group of people, to this nation, is that it's going to be important to pass on these laws, these rules, these ordinances, these understanding of what it means to love God and to fear God. We have to pass them on from one generation to the next. That makes obvious sense because if you ever fail to pass something on to the next generation, it just dies. And he says that the place that that's going to primarily happen in this nation that has been called out by God, the place where that is primarily going to happen is in the home. It's in the place where mom and dad are gathered with their kids because mom and dad have a significant influence on what their kids like and dislike, what they believe, what they look for, and what their passions are. We talked last week about the need in our lives when we are working with our kids, when we're in the midst of this pairing, to to have a relationship with them, to have a life of integrity where they see that we are living out what we actually believe, that we do instruct them and allow them to experience the things of God. But as I came away from last week, there were a couple of questions that kind of formed in my mind as I thought about that. As we, we talked a lot about the attitudes that we wanted, the, 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 the love of God, the fear of God built down deep into us so that we understand that this isn't just something that is a set of rules without some sort of standard and basis and grounding. 
But we really didn't talk a lot last week about, so what is it that we do in instructing them? What is the content of that instruction? And you can turn there if you want to. We're going to eventually get to Matthew 28. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul kind of gives a summary of that for us. Now, we're going to talk about a little bit about part of it today and table it till the month of August. And then we're going to focus in on a back part of it. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, who were having all kinds of struggles. They were wondering what the gospel was. They were debating whether or not the resurrection had actually happened. They were debating whether people had already been lost and they didn't know where to go. They were debating sexuality in their midst. They were debating conflict. They were debating and debating and debating. And in the midst of that, Paul says, Now, I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and on by which you are being saved. If you hold this message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So he says, I want to be very clear about what it is that we're talking about. This is the essence of what we believe as Christians. And he says, I'm passed on to you what I also received of most importance, of first importance. And this is what he preached. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, we're going to leave it there just for a second, because he goes on from there, but we'll get there in a minute. This is the foundational elements of what it means to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are the elements that have to be a part of our belief. Sometimes we talk about, in theological terms, primary, secondary tertiary, and whatever fourthiary is outside of that. So primary issues, first issues, secondary, secondary issues, tertiary, third, and then on. This is primary core of the gospel. If you don't believe this, you're not a believer. And that is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. And here's what happens in Christianity a lot of times is that we get caught up on lots of other issues around the edges. And we get mad at each other and debate each other, and Twitter becomes a war field, and Facebook stuff gets thrown all over the place, and we miss out on the fact that what unites us, we agree on in the center, and this is what is necessary. And sometimes we need to strip away all the extra stuff and say, what is at the core, what is at the fundamentals of what we believe? And in fact, as I've been praying through and seeking the Lord in the midst of this, this is our sermon series for the month of August. It's the fundamental list. Recovering what are the essentials of our faith. We're going to look at what is it that really grounds us as Christians What is it that we have to believe? What is the very basis of our faith? And I'll I'll spoil it for you. Most of it's contained right here in what Paul just said, all right? Now, there's some things we're going to do as background on that and get there, but that's going to be the month of August, all right? But I want to look now at the back part of what Paul says. Because in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I passed on to you what I knew, and this is what I knew. And he gives those things. But then he says this, and that. This and. This is not, oh, in addition, this is secondary. This is still part of the primary thing. He appeared to Cephas, then to 
12. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me. Now here's what I want you to understand about this. There are two reasons why I think Paul puts this right in the center of what it means to be a believer. And the first is, why does he live? Can you go back to that verse? No, I act like I went ahead. Why does he list all these people that he appeared to? You tell me, why does he list all those people that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection? Witness to the fact that it happened. In fact, it says here, uh, I love this. He says he appeared to 500 of them, and most of them are still alive. In other words, go ask them. They're still here. This is his proof of the resurrection of Jesus because, again, spoiler alert for August, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then everything else falls apart. And so he's saying the basis of what we believe is that Jesus, 100% man, 100% God, came, he died for our sins, and he rose again from the grave. But he also wants us to understand what Jesus did in those days following his resurrection. He went around and saw people. Now, what did he do when he saw those people? He restored Peter. We know that. And in every other instance, he gives commissions and charges to his followers. This is what you need to be. The most famous of which is in Matthew 28. I told you we would get there. We're there. In Matthew 28, at the end of... Of the book. These are his last words to his disciples in the book of Matthew. He says, Jesus came near and said to them, starting in verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything. That I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's what I want to focus on today. Is how do we raise kids in gospel-centered parenting? How do we raise kids to be fulfillers of the Great Commission? How do we raise Great Commission kids? Now, let me just say this before we get into the depth of it here. Primarily... This sermon is for parents of all ages. Some of you, like we said last week, you may not be there yet. That doesn't mean this doesn't apply to you. Because when Moses gave that command to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he gave it to the families, but he gave it to the families within the family of God. And this instruction is given today to families within the family of God. And we have people that are entrusted to us as God's people at First Baptist Goodlettsville that aren't going to be a part of a family that is supporting their Christian walk. That's just reality. Or are marginally doing that. And in those moments, it is our responsibility as a church family not as the youth minister, not as the children's minister, not as the preschool minister, not as the directors of any sort of Sunday school. It is the church's responsibility 
every single one of us to step into that gap in some way and help to encourage those kids along the way in their walk with the Lord. One of the things I love about this church is our extravagant giving offering. And again, this year, you gave to help our kids go to camp, to be able to sponsor some kids to go to camp because they weren't going to be able to otherwise. And that's why we have this year somewhere around 73 people going to camp between kids and youth. It's awesome. And so what we're going to talk about today is not just just for parents it's for us as a church family the great commission is the ultimate reason we are here statistics around the world we're creeping towards eight billion people in the world Uh, the numbers i have are, are still based on somewhere around seven and a half but the trend has been the same for all of these years we talk about the Great Commission, it says that you are to go and make disciples of all nations. That's pious, that's every people group. That's groups of people that have distinct language or culture. And in our 7.5 million people, there's somewhere around 17,000 people groups that have been identified by studies. There may be some we don't know about yet, but somewhere around 17,000. And out of those 17,000, over 7,000 still have been unreached with the gospel which represents somewhere around 3.14 billion. You see, as believers, we read about the call to go to the nations, and we are like, absolutely, let's go. And it seems theoretical. It seems almost distant. It seems like, absolutely, that's an important task. But we fail to recognize the 3.14 billion souls that are destined for eternity separated from God simply because they've never heard of Jesus. And that's our responsibility. Here's what I want to tell you, moms and dads, grandparents in the room. Our responsibility is to indwell our kids with a desire and the ability to impact the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your kids are watching more than you will ever know. They see what you love. They see what you value. They see what you have a passion for, what you care about. Most parents think their kids care very little about them or are looking to them with suspicion. In fact, I thought this was interesting because... um, I'm going to try this question. I may fail on this. Uh, There's a certain age when most parents think their kids completely tune them out. Right? If we were just going to generalize that in this room, what, what, what age range would that be? What do we call those people? Teenagers. Look at that. That was almost unanimous there, right? Some of you with like just six and seven year olds goes, it gets worse. It, okay, we'll, we'll get there, right? Here's what's interesting. In recent years, there have been multiple studies that have asked teenagers who their unsung heroes are or who they would most like to spend a night having supper with. And the number one answer in all of those polls are my parents. And so we sometimes are like, they're not even listening to me. They don't even care. And they do. And they watch. The parents, is in the time to nudge your kids. All right, they know. 
They're not going to admit it to you now either, right? And so what you do matters. And so when we think about that, I want to give you some practical steps to raising Great Commission kids. Now, I don't mean, by the way, I don't mean raising kids that will be lifetime, long-term career missionaries or pastors or work in a church. Although we need those. I just mean kids that are growing up grow up to do the work of helping see the kingdom of God spread. I think I've got like 20 points here. I don't. I've got like six or seven, though. It's more than normal, all right? They'll go quickly. First of all, when you're with your kids, talk about our ultimate purpose. You will talk to them about everything else. You'll talk about what college they're going to go to, what career they're going to have, what sports they're interested in, how they're doing in their sports, whether they're taking care of that, how their academics are, who their friends are, are they dating anybody, what's going on in that place, what are they watching on TV, what do you care about. You'll talk about everything else and make sure that in the midst of those conversations is a discussion about what the ultimate purpose of their life is. And I will tell you the ultimate purpose of their life is not a 4.0. The ultimate purpose of their life is not a career skill. The ultimate purpose of their life is not a good family. Although all those things are good, the ultimate purpose of their life is to live out the Great Commission in the areas where God has called them. And talk about that. Give them a Bible basis of it. Talk about the Great Commission. Talk about um, news events in light of our ultimate purpose. I mean, the news can be depressing as everything, and sometimes it's easier just to put our head in the sand and just live our lives. But God is in the midst of moving across the nations. And what we don't understand are the spiritual undertones that are happening in world news events, in national news events, in local news events. And we can talk about with our kids how all of that fits into the ultimate purpose that God has. I told you what's coming in August. In the month of July, I'm going to be doing a series about life and death. What happens after we die? What is the judgment like? What are things that we will do in heaven, won't do in heaven? And we're going to talk through that in the month of July. And part of that discussion is that ultimately this is not our home. This is not everything there is. And we can't live tight-fisted with the things of earth because this is temporary. Talk with your kids about their ultimate purpose. Secondly, prioritize well. It is true that today we have more demands on our time and our money and our schedule and our passions than ever before. And it is so easy to slip into a pattern where the things that we should prioritize, we don't. The actions we should take as first importance, we don't. And so in your life, your kids see what you spend money on. Your kids see where you spend your time. Your kids see what you value. Your kids see what you're passionate about. Prioritize your life well. Third, live generously. Live generously. Whatever money you make, is it all for you and your family, or are you giving? Are you giving to good causes? Are you giving to people in need? Are you giving to your church? 
Live generously and don't brag about it with your kids, but allow your kids to understand that part of what we do, we may not be able to have that because we're going to give here. We're going to be here. Live generously with what God has given you, what God has blessed you, with understanding that it comes from him all anyways. It is not yours. Fourth, live in community. Notice that there's no A there. Because all of us live in a community. This is live in community. That is with others as one. Community is one with. With others as one. The idea is that we're going to do life together. We're going to live life together. We're going to understand God's word together. We're going to pray together. We're going to walk through life together. We are going to do life in a way that it supports one another, that my kids are in an environment where they have friends that are seeking the Lord, that are after the Lord, that are looking to Him, that are living generously, that are doing missions, that are seeking out. We're going to live among people that are doing that, and we're going to make ourselves vulnerable in those relationships and real and honest. We're going to live in community. If you're here and you're a part of our church and you haven't found a group of people in Sunday school, life groups, whatever you want to call it in those moments, if you haven't found a group of people to walk with from this church, please come see me. Please come see Noah. We can talk to you about some places to plug you in. And if we need to form a new group, we will. Because this is vitally important. Next. Pray on mission. We talked about prayer extensively for a couple of weeks and into May. What I mean here is we pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't pray. It's okay to pray our list of things that we would like from the Lord, but we don't pray to him as a genie that's just automatically giving us that. And the purpose of prayer is not to get God on our agenda. It is to get ourselves on his. And so we want to pray for his agenda. We want to pray specifically for people around the world. I've mentioned a resource to you before called Operation World. It's a book. It's a website. And it'll give you daily things to pray for the nations. Uh, The North American Mission Board will send you free at the beginning of every year, if you want to, a weekly prayer calendar for missionaries that are here in North America and have specific prayer needs for them. International Mission Board will give you an email every week with specific prayer requests if you want it. All of those things are available online, and if you need help finding all that, I'll be glad to help you. But find a way to pray, and not just for yourself, but as a family, talk about it. Talk about missions. Talk about how we can pray for it. Sixth. Go on mission. Go. Do mission work. You can't instruct your kids to be a part of the global mission of God if you are not doing missions yourself. And what I mean by that is Acts 1-8. I mean locally. I mean trips outside of your comfort zone. And I mean international. In our day and age, with the easy accessibility we have to international missions, I think it ought to be the goal of every person that absolutely can to go at least once internationally in your life on a mission trip. It will change your life. Yesterday, driving, um, Daniel Shaw, Katie, went on the trip, and Daniel and I drove the group to the airport, and so we met out here and prayed, and Uh, I told 
Landry and Jackie and Steve Norman were in my car and we're driving them. And I said, I am so excited for Steve Norman, who's never been. I told Steve in the car for you and for Katie and for Destiny, who have never been. Because I don't know how God's going to change your life this week, but he will. It just will happen. You need to be in process of going on mission. When I think back over my life to um, the most important spiritual markers in my life. If I were to make, I remember somebody made me do this one time, a spiritual marker, an altar list of places I go in my life and go, man, that changed me. I mean, obviously my salvation when, I, when, when Jesus saved me when I was nine years old, forever changed me. My call to ministry before my ninth grade year at Centerfuge in Ridgecrest, North Carolina, that changed me forever. A, a conference I've talked about before in um, January 1st, 1997, Passion 97, was a conference that forever changed my life. My kids, my marriage, like all of that changed my life. But I also look back on two or three other instances. One is the first time I ever heard my grandfather talk about a mission trip he took to the Philippines. And I thought, man, that's cool. I want to do that one day. My gramps went on that trip, worked with local pastors, and came home without shoes because he gave his shoes to the local pastor that didn't have any. I think about Brazil the first time I went, the summer of 1998, same summer that I married Susan 25 years ago. 25 years ago, like right now, I was in Brazil. And that week forever changed me. I worked in an orphanage that we expected 70 kids or so. And the week before we arrived, literally a couple of days before we arrived, the government just dumped 21 more kids there. And playing soccer with them and doing vacation Bible school, we, we took... And tried to adapt vacation Bible school as a bunch of American teenagers. And I don't know that they understood a whole lot. But at the church service that night, one of their people preached and people got saved. And it was life altering. But the first of that kind of mission experience for me happened when I was in youth group. We had a music minister who decided to take a music mission trip, youth choir mission trip to Kalamazoo, Michigan. I cannot sing. All of God's people said, we've heard. That's what you said, all right? I can't. I was not in the youth choir. And so I went to him and said, I'd like to go, but I'm not in the youth choir. And he said, do you want to run sound? Sure. How hard can that be? Uh, hard. I'll tell you that. All right. We were in an open tent running sound for a youth choir with cassette tracks. I remember cassettes. How do you remember those? Right? Pre-CDs, cassette tracks, right? Had to have them queued up just right. That trip changed my life. God does things on mission trips when you get away from your comfort zone and go somewhere that he just doesn't do when you're in your normal everyday routine. He just does. And as parents, you need to go. And it probably means that sometimes you need to go without your kids, but it also means you need to go on mission with your kids. One thing that I didn't tell you about that trip, my mom, who's here today, went on that Kalamazoo mission trip 
Now, mom didn't sing in the youth choir either. She wasn't a youth, right? Do you know what mom did for that whole week? She cooked breakfast and supper for our entire team. I value those moments that I spent letting people understand how great of a cook my mom is. One of my youth ministers said, I believe in miracles because I can't understand how you're so thin. I used to be thin, like really thin, all right? I don't understand how you're so thin after your mom's cooking for a week. We had an awesome week. Unbelievable. And we were part of it together. One of my most valuable memories in Brazil is when I got to go with Eli when he was 10. And watch him work with kids and put shoes on their feet. It's just unbelievable. And in order to do that, this is my last piece of advice. And this is one I'm going to have an admission for you. Your last piece of advice, if you want to raise great commission kids, is get passports and keep them up to date. There is a scenario, a pretty good scenario, where I am in Brazil right now instead of here. But my passport lapsed. And I have preached this message and used this multiple times. And Randy Brooks, over the last six weeks, has said, where's your passport? Didn't you tell us, are you practicing what you preach? And I'm like, just stop it, Randy. All right, that's it. My passport's out of date. It ran out during covid And if I'd wanted to go and felt like God was calling me to go to Brazil in this time, I couldn't have. So make sure it's up to date. If you don't have a passport for you and your kids, get them. So that when God calls, you're ready. Because here's what I believe. We got a group in Brazil right now, six of them down in Brazil. I believe that God intended for more than six of us to be there this week. And I believe God intends for more than six of us to be there next year. And you got a year to prepare. But I believe God's calling some of you in this room right now to prepare your life to go to Brazil next summer. And for some of you, it's to take kids with you. Now, don't take your two-year-old. That's a vacation, all right? That's, but at the point where they're ready to serve, God's calling some of you to go. They say, well, why, was this, why do you think this became such a passion on your heart? I'll tell you the moment that I thought about preaching this message. I obviously didn't go to the Southern Baptist Convention this year. My dad passing away and all that was there. I I never felt like I was supposed to go. Noah was there. And I decided to watch one afternoon for some reason. I guess I just needed the misery for a few moments. Because here's what happens at the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know if y'all know this. It's just two-day business meeting. All of God's people said, Ugh. Right? That's two days of business meeting. Now, Noah loves that stuff. Right, Noah? Hannah? No, that's right. So I decided to turn it on, and here's what happens at some point. They open the floor for any of the 14,000 people to get up and say whatever they want to say, bring whatever motion they want to bring, or the seminary presidents get up and they give a report and they open the floor. Anybody can ask them anything. And what happens is people say crazy things. 
And you know what happens immediately? All the news cameras focus in. They get clipped. Can you believe what happened? It's one guy out of 14,000. It's not all of us. So I was watching one afternoon. And you get particularly concerned because they have to get up and say, I'm so-and-so, I'm a messenger from First Baptist Church, Goodlettsville, Tennessee, and I have a question for the president or whatever. I got particularly concerned anytime I hear the word Tennessee come out of someone's mouth because I just have, we, you know, I'm worried about our reputation as a state for some reason. And I get really concerned when they say from Greenbrier, Tennessee, which happened this year. And I thought, uh-oh, hope this is okay. And the pastor from Greenbrier said, I'm just wondering if the seminaries have any suggestions for us as local churches to help because the pipeline is drying up. And this is what he meant. We have fewer and fewer teenagers and young adults that are responding to the call to ministry. Specifically, we have fewer and fewer young men responding to the call to ministry. And either one of two things are happening. Either God has stopped calling or we have stopped hearing. My guess is not God. And part of the reason I feel like that is happening is because we have done a poor job, including me as your pastor, of presenting the reality that this is part of what God calls us to do, all of us, but he also calls some of us to do this with our lives. And there may be somebody here today that God's working on. Maybe it's a process. For me, it was a process. It was a year-long process. But I would just say that you need to understand that if God's calling you to do this full-time, the only appropriate response is yes. If God's calling you to do anything, the only appropriate response is yes. And as parents... We need to build an environment where our kids understand that their ultimate calling in life is the Great Commission, and we want to facilitate that out or we can for our kids and our grandkids. And so today, my question for you is, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, whether you're an adult that has someone that's young, as a church family, how are we encouraging and raising Great Commission kids? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the fact that you give us the opportunity to be a part of your plan and your mission. And Lord, I pray that in these moments, you'll remind us of your love for us. And Lord, I also pray that in these moments, we'll commit our lives to raising and being a part of the Great Commission ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.